Good morning, Salem Heights. Welcome to church. Pray that uh, you are well this morning and that possibly you are gathered with a couple of other people in your home, having church in a larger environment this week. If you are new and uh, want to get connected with our church, we would love to, to hear from you at info at salemheightschurch.org or at salemheightschurch.org. We would love to be able to connect with you. But right now, we're asking you to gather around, bring your kids in uh, to the living room, get your Bibles, and get ready to join us for worship. Well, good morning, Salem Heights, and guests, we welcome you here today. We're glad that you're joining us today for worship. We're going to worship together, and then we're going to hear from God's Word. I want to remind you, during these trying times where it seems like things are getting uh, a little bit more uh, crazy every day, that, uh, that Jesus someday is coming with the clouds. Revelation 1-7 says this, it says, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the people on earth will mourn because of him, and so shall it be. And so we know that in these times we ought to look up. So we're going to worship together, remind one another of these truths. So let's do that now.
one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That is what we have to look forward to as believers. So sing this in confidence. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? For who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord? Jesus, the Messiah who was to come as a man of sorrows. In man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own betrayed the sin of man and wrath Silent as he stood. Now the very 
if you would. Father, your love is amazing and it's unmerited towards us and we are so thankful for it. We're so thankful that you love us, that you showed us that love in the person of Jesus Christ, coming to lay down his life for the many, us included. We are so thankful that you love us and care about us that much that you'd send your only son, your word says. God, I would pray that we would grow in our faith, even during these times where we've been asked to kind of stay apart. I pray that you would find us digging in deeper with you so we might grow. God, I would pray that that would even happen today as we hear your word, because we know it will not come back void. So we pray that you would do that now. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you again. And hopefully you've had a chance to gather with some family or maybe another family uh, and be able to turn our attention to God's word. And so if you have a copy of your Bible, would you grab it? Open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you are finding your way to 2 Corinthians, I wanted to give an update on our growing project. Uh, over the last month, we've had almost 100 families, uh, kids, and even adults send pictures of things that they have been growing. Uh, you might remember that we had a sermon where we talked about what God does in us as he prepares our heart, he implants his word, and then he grows us uh, to be fruitful and useful for him. And so we told the kids, and any adults for that matter, who would participate in that project, that if they were to send us a picture, we'd have a prize. And uh, this morning I want to show what that prize is. It's, it's a presidential gold dollar. Now this is not just any coin. You can't actually go to a bank. We found that out. You can't go to a bank and find these. Uh, you have to go to a coin store. But this is a special commemorative dollar. It's gold-plated. And uh, we want to give this to every person who participated in that. So if you have done that, uh, we're going to have you come by the church. I probably should call ahead right now and just make sure that uh, we have somebody in the office. And uh, we'll set up a time to meet your uh, kids or meet you and to hand off your gold dollars. Every single child, every single adult who participated in a family is going to get a golden coin. So we're hopefully that's exciting. And we look forward to be able to interact with you a little bit in the coming weeks and hand these out to you. So I uh, hope to see you soon there. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called, Who Do You Think You Are? And this is week five of that series. And we've been looking at these theological ideas that maybe have gotten a little dusty. And by dusty, we just mean that, uh, that when we think about them or when we hear someone mention them, perhaps we're not as excited about them or perhaps they don't stir us up with an affection for God. But these theological truths are so important. They're really the bedrock that we, we live our lives out each day. These are the truths that comfort us, that give us direction. And today we're going to be talking about the theological truth that those who are in Christ are a new creation. I don't know about you, but over the last couple of weeks I've had some extra time at home and I've taken the, that opportunity to do some home improvement projects. And one of the ones that my wife and I had been talking about for a while that we just didn't know if we had the time to do was repainting our cabinets. And so if you've ever done something like that, it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of time that has to go into painting your cabinets. And so I've been working on that the last couple of weekends. And it's starting to look okay. Um, it's it's uh, been a fun project, and yet it's been a challenging project. But here's the thing. Now that it's starting to come together, and the paint is drying, and the doors are going back on, and we're putting new hardware, 
it definitely looks different. It's definitely an improvement. But when I go to open a drawer or open a cabinet door, here is the reality. It's still just an old cabinet. Yeah, it looks nicer on the outside, but what it truly is hasn't really changed a whole lot. I think for some of us, when we think about the Christian life, we look at it as a sense, uh, kind of a set of principles that we can live by or some truths that we believe in, and it can help us improve our life. But what I want us to see this morning is that the Christian life is not just about improving ourselves a little bit on the outside. It's about being inherently different on the inside. And so if you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 this morning. I want to highlight a few things for us and kind of see what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and he says this starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we know no, no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. This is a pretty familiar passage if you've grown up in the church or if you've been a believer for, for a while. Uh, but it has an amazing truth in here. Did you see it in verse 17? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What is Paul saying here? What does he want us to understand? Well, I want us to focus on this term new creation. Here in this text, the word new means that it's something that was unknown before. It's totally different. It's something that didn't exist. Uh, the uh, Scottish preacher, William Lothian, described new like this. He said, it, it is an entire moral revolution that is affected in a person's character. Not only are they reformed, they are created anew. His heart is not merely rectified, but a new heart is implanted. His understanding is illuminated. His affections are sanctified. His will is brought into subjection to the law of Christ. His conversations, pursuits, and manner of life are changed. This is what it means to be new. To be new is not just a reworking or an improvement. It's something completely different that didn't exist before. The word here for creation is also an important word that we kind of understand what that means. Creation here is something that has taken place that is a supernatural work of God. In fact, the word for creation means it's exclusively God's work. One commentator points out that this is a, the same kind of word, the same kind of description that's used for what God did when he created everything in Genesis that there was nothing and there was something because God spoke it into existence. It's a supernatural work that happens both instantaneously, but also is something that God carries out. He sustains it. So the same type of thing that happened at creation for the universe, for all, everything, is the same thing that happens when you place your faith in Jesus. When you begin that relationship with him, 
you are immediately, instantaneously changed. You're different. You're a new creation. And he sustains that. In his book on salvation, Dr. Earl Rodenmacher describes it like this. He says, think of a miracle God performs at the moment a person exercises faith in Christ. The believer has an entirely new power source and possibilities. The tyranny of Satan has been destroyed and the slavery to sin is broken. This is what Paul knew. This is what Paul had learned about what happens when you place your faith in Christ. But this wasn't just some kind of intellectual knowledge that Paul had grasped through another teacher. This is what had happened in his life. If you remember Paul's conversion that we see in Acts chapter 9, Paul, before his conversion, was his passion was persecuting the church. His passion was trying to destroy anyone who would have decided to follow Jesus. And then one day as he's traveling to a place called Damascus to go arrest and detain more believers, Christ comes. And he has this encounter with Christ. And from that moment, he was changed. It tells us in Acts chapter 9 verse 20 that immediately Paul began to proclaim Christ. So Paul is not just speaking here from an intellectual knowledge. He knows what it's like to become a new creation, to be be living one life, and then you encounter Christ, and you place your faith in him, and then something completely radical happens, a supernatural work that happens that you can't explain outside of that God has done something. You're different. You're no longer the same. So what does this mean for us? How do we know if we are a new creation? How do we know if something in us is different? Well, I think there are some things from this text that we can highlight. And so I want to give us three signs that something in you is different. And the first sign is this. You are going to see Jesus differently if you're a new creation. Look what Paul says back in verse 16. He says, From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. You know, for Paul, Paul saw Jesus as a problem. He saw what Jesus had said and how it had impacted people as a problem, and he had committed himself to destroying the idea of the gospel. But for some of us, before Christ, we saw Jesus as a problem. We heard of what he had called us to. We had seen the life that is uh, kind of instructed for us. And even as believers, we can kind of sometimes see Jesus as a problem. He's hindering us. He's hemming us in. He's putting regulations on us. We can feel more trapped than free. I don't know if that's true for you. But here's what Paul became to understand. He said, I used to look at Jesus from a worldly perspective. Some of your translations will say from the flesh, from a fleshly perspective, meaning I saw him as an irritant, as a problem. But Paul says, I know him now no longer like that. See, when you are changed, the first thing that changes is how you see Christ. He's no longer a problem. He is the solution. The second sign that something is changed and you are a different person is you begin to see others differently. Did you catch the first part of verse 16? It says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from 
a worldly perspective. You know, a lot of the New Testament talks about the flesh and talks about the works of the flesh. What does it look like when I'm living for self and not living for the Lord? And one, of the, one of the manifestations, one of the signs that I'm living for self and not for the Lord is I'm going to treat people in a harsh way. I'm going to treat them in a rude way. Uh, I, I'm going to look at other people at, kind of in one of three ways if I'm not living for Christ, if I'm not a new creation. Uh, the first way is that they're an opponent. Uh, there's someone that's kind of uh, an enemy, someone that's set up against me, someone that's in my way. Um, that, that's another way we can look at people as, a, as an obstacle. It's just they're slowing me down. They're not getting on the same page as me. The third way we can look at people when we're not new is as objects. We see them as a means to gratify ourselves, to please ourselves, and we might use people. But the reality is this. When we are made new, we begin to see people as Christ sees people. No longer from a worldly perspective, it's just other people in my way or opposing me or someone to be used for my good. But I see them as image bearers. I see them as someone who's been created in the image of God, even if they're different from me, even if they have a different belief, even if they don't see eye to eye. I don't just see them as someone that's in my way. I see them as someone that God loved, someone that God sent his son to die for. And so now I see them as Christ sees them. And it says that Christ sees the lost, not as enemies, but as lost sheep in need of a shepherd. So I begin to interact with these people, even if they're different from me, even if they are harsh towards me, I don't treat them in the same way anymore because I'm a new creation. So I don't view them or treat them or interact with them from a worldly perspective. No, I see them no longer as an enemy, but as an image bearer. Well, there's one more sign that something has taken place, that your, your relationship with Christ has made you new, and that is you see yourself differently. In his book uh, on the gospel, Jerry Bridges talks about this idea of what it means to be compelled. And, and he's referring to verses 14 and 15. Let's look at those again. It says this, Paul writes, For the love of Christ compels us. Some of your Bibles might say controls us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that he being Jesus so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. This word compelled is an interesting word. It, it can kind of have this idea of, of pushing us forward through the process of bringing us in or pushing us in on every side. Jerry Bridges describes it like this. He says, It is Paul's awareness of the love of Christ that governs or controls him. It holds him to one end or goal. It prohibits him from considering any other. It is neither the fear of punishment or the expectation of reward, but solely being overwhelmed by the fact of Christ's love for him that so controls and governs and motivates him. The idea of being compelled is that Christ begins, the love of Christ begins to just it, it captivate you, it begins to hem you in, begins to push you in, and you're just constantly confronted by the love of God, which we see all throughout the scriptures. And this love then leads you to one action, one desire that Christ has placed in you, and that is to no longer live for yourself, but to live for him. 
You see, before you're a new creation, before Christ does something in you, well, we live for ourselves, right? Uh, we are greedy. We want more and more. We're never satisfied. Uh, but one of the other things that can happen to us when we're living for self is that we can begin to be crushed by the outcomes of our choices. And guilt can be a big part of our life. This guilt of maybe feeling like I've messed up too much for God to love me or I've, I've walked away too long that there's no possible way that God would take me back. And the guilt of our decisions or the guilt of the fact that I continue to stumble with the same addictions or the same bents over and over, even though I don't want to do those anymore, I keep struggling, that guilt can begin to crush us. But can I tell you something? I believe that that, that conflict inside of you, that, that knowledge that what is going on in you is not what you want to do, and like you are trying to overcome it, you're wanting to walk in victory, but you're still finding yourself struggling at times with selfishness or greed, that is actually evidence that something has changed in you. Because the, the non-believer, the, the person who has not been made a new creation, they're not worried about how this impacts a relationship with God. They're not worried about how they're going to, you know, get through this in relationship to an eternal creator. No, they're just focused on themselves. But if that is your angst, if that is that struggle, if that is because the Spirit of God has begun this, pro this process of transformation. And so... Yes, he doesn't want us to be greedy anymore, but he also doesn't want us to be carrying that guilt around because it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is no longer, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, there's no longer any condemnation. They're free. And so this is the point. When we are made a new creation, we begin to see ourselves differently. We no longer are compelled then, motivated, pushed forward by greed or by guilt but we are compelled by the love of Christ. But here's what I want us to remember as we wrap up our time. There is a difference be between being new, made new, and being mature. And this is a key thought. We must remember that new is not the same as mature. New here as a new creation speaks to potential. It speaks to a, a reset of sorts, the ability to be made new, to be a new creation, to have new potential, to do things differently. Scottish theologian Thomas Boston describes our newness like this. He says, Though every part of a man is renewed, there is no part of him perfectly renewed. As an infant has all the parts of a man, but none of them come to a perfect growth, so regeneration brings a perfection of parts to be brought forward in the gradual advances of sanctification. So what's he saying here? He's saying when we are made a new creation, we have new potential, but we are not yet what we will be. I think of a child, a brand new baby. They're born, they have, uh, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes. They're cute, they're cuddly, and they have their whole lives ahead of them. They have the opportunity to grow muscles and to grow physically. They're going to have the opportunity to grow intellectually. They have the opportunity to grow uh, in relationships. 
We believe they have the opportunity in Christ to grow spiritually. They have all this potential set before them. There's no, nothing weighing against them, right? There's no bad choices that they've already made. There's no accidents that have already happened. It's like there's just unlimited potential. But that potential will not be realized until they grow. The same is true for you and for me. Being a new creation doesn't mean now that we're not going to struggle in sin. doesn't mean that we're no longer going to be tempted. It doesn't mean that we're going to know everything we need to know about the Bible or about God. But it means that now we can. You and I can know more about God. You and I can have victory over sin. You and I now can respond to every circumstance in life differently. We don't have to respond how a sinful person would respond anymore because we've been set free from that in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, look, the new has come. So my question for you this morning is this. How will you take advantage of this new potential? See, potential is just that. It's potential. It doesn't become a strength until it's developed. And so you and I, as believers, have the opportunity to now take advantage of this potential, to lean into the scriptures, to begin to pursue Christ in a new way through a power that he has enabled us through his Holy Spirit and through that process of surrender and through that pursuit of him and saying, I need you to grow me up. I need you to teach me, Lord. He will begin to help us recognize this potential in him. But perhaps you haven't started this relationship with Christ. Perhaps you haven't believed in Jesus for your salvation. Perhaps you haven't been around the church. Perhaps this is the first time you're hearing about the opportunity to be made different through Christ. Do you know that you also have potential? That potential is awaiting on the other side of faith. Right now, wherever you're at, if you haven't began a relationship with Christ, if he hasn't made you a new creation, you actually have the potential to believe by faith in the gospel, that Jesus is the Son of God who came and lived a perfect life that you could never have lived to die in your place and to pay the penalty for your sins and that he was buried and rose again three days later and now is reigning in the lives of all his believers. Your potential is if you will believe that it is true, he will save you. And instantaneously, he will do that work of creation in you, and you will be made new and given that potential. You might not even know the words or even how to, to express that faith in Christ, but I would encourage you just to, just to call out to him, to pray, to talk to God and say, God, I don't even know all the right words, but I want you to make me a new creation. I believe in your son. Would you change me? And you'll be saved. This is such an amazing truth that has the opportunity to become dusty in our lives. But I hope this morning we are reminded that we are a new creation. And as we live in pretty tumultuous times, as there's all kinds of things going around that are hard and heavy, Salem Heights Church, those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Let's live in that potential. Let's pursue Christ. Let's allow ourselves to be made new. Let's allow ourselves to be different. Let's allow ourselves to respond in a way that we can only do because he is our Savior. Would you pray with me?
God, I thank you so much for this time, and I thank you for this passage. And God, just like the Apostle Paul, who was so radically changed because of faith, I pray, God, that if there's anyone listening or watching this online who has not started a relationship with you, that they would believe by faith in the good news of Jesus Christ and that they would become a new creation. God, for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, I pray that we would not pray that we would not just live our lives as if we were just ordinary. That we wouldn't just approach our, our Christianity, our faith as just something that's helping us improve our lives, but we would recognize that there's already been a radical, supernatural, miraculous work done in us, and that we would seize that opportunity, that potential to live in that to no longer let our mind and our will and our desires control us, but to let you and your spirit lead us the rest of our days, God. Thank you so much for making us new. Thank you for so much for giving us this freedom. Thank you so much that we can come now and stand before you as your children, no longer condemned by sin, but loved by you. We thank you for this and we pray this in your son's beautiful name.